it's hard for me to even explain that to um, somebody who was born and raised in Canada, that the university was scary, you know. And so they would ask me, well, what did they do to you? And I said, well, that's a problem. Nobody did anything. You know, you got you got asked the you know the same questions and and so it kind of it's like well, what are they I want to know what you're thinking but nobody's really saying anything anyhow I decided not to go back I went back to my farm I lived on the farm for eight years had my kids and then when the kids were a bit older I decided I didn't want to be a teacher anymore uh, I'd done quite a few things on the farm and decided to go into social work so I did social work, worked in mental health and then a few other places here. But when the kids got a bit older, we decided they had to go back to Ghana. So we packed our bags. I didn't have a job. I had applied to QSO several times. <laughs> <laughs> several times. And I didn't even get a reply back. And I thought, what the hell, I'm going to go to Ghana anyway. So we packed up three kids, my husband and I, we went to Ghana. And um, I mean, I, I tell I tell people that I wouldn't advise that because it's not it's tough. Yes. You didn't actually have dad. You just had me, Josie, and Anna, and then you, and then we met Christy and Ethan. <laughs> well, dad came six weeks later. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so glad you have a great memory. <laughs> Is your husband from Ghana too? No, my husband is white Canadian. <laughs> but, he had, yeah. but his parents worked for CEDA when he was a kid. So he lived in Ghana for three years when he was a kid. His parents, um, there was a whole bunch of, you know, these um, agreements that Canada has with different countries. Well, uh, I think in Saskatchewan, every province had to pick a country that they would support. And Saskatchewan picked Ghana. So there were 15 families from Moose Jaw that were sent to, uh, from Syast in Moose Jaw, that were sent to Ghana to build technical institutes. And so his dad uh, took on that job and they set up uh, the a technical institute and who was an electrical instructor for three years. And then they went back uh, again in the 80s um, to build another one in Kumasi, uh, and then they came back. So my husband is very familiar uh, to Ghana. Actually, when, when I met him, he had moved back to Ghana. He was doing this part-time. He'd live in Canada six months and live in Ghana six months, and he was growing pineapples over there. That, that's when I met him. Anyhow, so we decided we, our kids had to go back to Ghana because I, I was born and raised there and all they knew was Canada. So we went we went there and um, the first six months was tough because I'd been here since 94. I'd gone to school here and you know I I had changed but somehow I expected my community to be the same. Mm. Well my community had also changed <laughs> you know and they couldn't understand me and I couldn't understand them. Mm. Um, it, was a, it was a bit tough and we bought a one-way ticket, and I always say that if I had a if I had bought a return ticket, I would have come back in two weeks. Mm -hmm. But my husband is very laid back. He was here for six weeks, um, and then later joined us. And at any time I call and complain, he'd say, "It will be fine." And I said, "It won't be fine. Like I've got three kids, I'm going crazy." <laughs> but anyhow, finally he. Um, he came there and the kids started school. We decided that, you know, this was going to be a full integration. There was nothing partial about it. We didn't put them in an international school. Put them in a, a local school. And the thing was, my kids had always done French immersion here. 
we don't have French immersion in Ghana. Ghana was a British colony, so mm -hmm. it's all English, but just with all the fighting that is going on around Ghana, there's a lot of uh, West African Francophone people that have moved in, so you have a few French schools. So we decided, well, we'll put them in a French school. And <laughs> the, um, the first day I took the kids to the school, they all cried. <laughs> they all cried. I thought, well, we, well, it was either take them out, find an international school. But we thought, well, that would defeat the whole purpose of moving there in the first place, and we're not coming back. Um, so we stayed. We hired a, a tutor for them, because even though they had done French immersion here, they couldn't really speak. So we hired a tutor for a month, and then we let him go. And we decided, sink or swim. You guys go, and they did well. They're all fluently bilingual now. And um, my first job in Ghana, uh, I sent out a whole bunch of resumes. Um, again, I sent to QSO Ghana. They did not get back to me. At <laughs> 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 the third time, I nearly gave up on them. Um, but then the International Labor Organization, they picked up my resume. And it took, it, like, it was three months. Finally, the uh, chief technical advisor calls me and says, okay, are you ready to start work? And I said, well, sure. When? Next week. She only gave me five days. So I started working with them. Then, QSO Ottawa emailed me and said, there is this new project in Ghana, and will I be interested? And I thought, well, after all these years, <laughs> well, you know, they do actually do, do look at those resumes. with the ILO was ending. I think it was three weeks to the end of my contract there. It couldn't have happened at the best time, you know. So um, I wrote back and I said, oh, send me more information on this. And it was just what I wanted to do. I'd been with the ILO uh, doing this elimination of child labor. So my, my job essentially was reviewing proposals for, uh, from implementing agencies in Ghana. And then we send it to Geneva. They send it back and forth, back and forth, and finally they approve it. And I was sick and tired of reading re uh, proposals. I was, I was ready for actually being with women, being in the community. And this job comes up, and that was exactly what I was going to do. Now, I lived it, I was in Accra. The job, uh, the Access to Justice project was, um, it, it was supposed to look at how women and children within the justice system in Ghana. Now, Ghana has a plural system. We have the formal justice system and then the traditional system. There were two corporates, myself and then uh, Levina. Now, the other corporate was, was in Accra. So they asked me at my interview, they said, OK, you've got the job, but there is a catch. You have to move to the north. <laughs> and I thought, well, my family are in, in the south in the north. There is no way I'm going to get a French school for my children, and I particularly don't want to go to the north. Now, the north is one of the poorest areas in, in, in Ghana, and most, a lot of people that do development work in Ghana, they live in Accra. A lot of them travel back and forth, back and forth. So I thought, okay, I really like the, you know, I like this job, I like what you're saying, I like the research, so yes, I'll go. So what I agreed, what I negotiated with QSU was that my, my family is in Accra. I will go, live there for two weeks, but then I have to come back. And again, it's one of those things that 
things just worked out because the way everything progressed, I needed to be in Accra, networking with other organizations. And so I spent two weeks there actually working with women, doing my research, and then I'll get on the bus and I'll come back. Um, Okay, so the, the, country, the country rep uh, in Ghana said to me, well, we can't fly you there. You have to take the bus. And I thought, okay. <laughs> and again, it was fabulous. It was a long ride, 12 hours. Sometimes the buses will break down on the road. But you meet so many interesting people. Yeah. You really get to, that's the only, I, I actually think that if you really want to know the people, mm -hmm. Take the local bus. <laughs> Take the local bus. I was telling them a story about that, so yeah. that's perfect. You get to watch all the Nigerian movies and you hear all sorts of narratives. I mean, I, although I'm from Ghana, I'm from the south. I'm a Fanti. And I don't know, I, I, I don't speak their language. Their dialects are quite different from what we speak in the south. So when I'm in the north, every, a lot of things are so foreign to me. The trips on the buses explained so many things to me. You know, something will happen, and I, I would try to get some explanation. You know, from the from the um, partner organization that I was working for, and sometimes it wouldn't make sense. But on the bus, I would, you, know, <laughs> would, you know, they would tell a story that all of a sudden the light bulbs would go off. It made it makes sense now. I understand why they do these things. Anyhow, the I, I my job was supposed to be in all of the north, the northern sector of Ghana, which was, you know, upper east, upper west, and then the northern region. It's half of a country. So I, I did a lot of traveling around. Um, and, and the tribes are all different, you know. Um, and the roads are really bad. <laughs> I have to tell a story. You know, there was one time I was going from upper east region to upper west. And on the Trotro, that's what we call them, the local buses. All the women had scarves. They were all covered. And I just thought, I mean, the nor northern Ghana is predominantly Muslim. I just assumed, oh, they're all Muslim women. You know, that's why they're covered up. I didn't bother asking. Well, ha this is a 13-hour trip. Even though it's, it's not that far, but the roads are so bad, it takes 13 hours to get there. Well, halfway through the trip, I realized my eyelids, my eyelids were heavy. I wasn't sleepy, but it was just heavy. I thought, well, what's happening? All the other people looked okay, except I was just, you know, we stopped when they, they stopped in all small villages all the way. Well, we, we stopped in one village, and we all had to, you know, get off the, 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 the trotro. And all the kids kept staring at me, and they were laughing, and I thought, well, what are they laughing at? Didn't say anything. Well, when I got to, the, to my destination, there's a university there, and my cousin is a lecturer there. She picked me up, and she said, well, what happened to you? And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, You're, you look red. My hair looked red from the <laughs> dust. My eyelids, that's what, that was what was weighing down my eyelids. Was that, 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 because the roads are not tarred, right? And, uh, you know, I, was, I was red. She had a um, one-year-old who, as soon as she saw me, she started crying. So I finally looked at myself in the mirror, and I understood why the kids were laughing. And I understood why all the women on the bus were covered. You know, they all looked fresh when they got off the bus, except me. I looked shabby. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> but, so, uh, uh, the research, uh, the research was fantastic. I mean, I found out things about Ghana that I didn't know. 
in all the time that I grew up there. But at the end of a at the end of the research, we I thought to myself, you know, we were supposed to find out how women fare within the justice system, women and children. We've got these answers. We know what is wrong. What are we going to do with it? One of the things that came up uh, over and over was um, the, the lack of women's shelters in the north. They're, they're actually, the, besides the one that we, uh, we built with the health refusal, there, there isn't any more. Um, and working for the, the partner organization, it's called Widows and Orphans Movement, I mean, I made several trips to the police station. I, 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 I can't thank those uh, police officers enough because, I mean, you go there and there's so many people, but you go there and you say, I'm with QSO, and you get special treatment. <laughs> and they would always follow through on the cases. And so I realized that, you know, as, as QSO corporates or volunteers, sometimes, as sad as it is, you have access to places that the locals don't. They don't have. And I think you can use that to really support women, right? Um, I knew that if I sent women there, you know, I'll do my assessments and I'll say, okay, you go to the police station. A lot of times they'll go there and the police officers won't do anything. Well, I go there and I mention QSO and they're right there, you know. And then uh, over, over a period of time, we established a relationship so that the women go and say, where were the QSO girl? <laughs> you know, and they, they will, you know, they'll get the same treatment. Uh, so that was one, you know, one, one lear uh, learning uh, for me that we, you, that, that institutional backing that we have is so important that we can use it uh, in, in many ways. So um, we did our research. Were so, I mean, there were so many challenges, but one of the things that I decided to do was tackle the issue of women's shelters because it was so, so big. You know, you send women, you send, to the, you send them to the police station, uh, the, the police will arrest, you know, uh, the perpetrator, but often it happens again. You know, you don't have, like you send them back to the same homes where they were victimized within a short period of time. So things haven't really settled, right? And it's just, I think it's a recipe for disaster every time. Um, now, the organization that I was with, Widows and Orphans uh, Movement, it's, it's a really unique organization in that um, the woman that started the organization is a widow herself. She used to be a nurse. And in the hospital, she realized that, you know, widows, will come, there were so many widows coming there. And the, there was no support for them. So she started this organization, and it used to be called uh, Widows and Orphans uh, Ministry. But due to funding uh, restrictions and all that, somebody advised her to change the name because was, there were so many associations to uh, religion that she had to change it to movement. But what she did was, you know, when, when widows came to her with, you know, as victims of domestic violence or community violence, she would take them in, she would get the police uh, to, to do what they have to do, whether it's arrest or mediation or whatever, but she also offered training they trained, uh, they learned how to weave baskets. They learned how to process shea nuts and make shea butter. And then uh, they also bought, you know, small parcels of land to farm. 
So some of them would grow uh, peanuts, we call it groundnuts in Ghana. Um, and then some of the women would have, you know, a couple goats. Uh, she'd actually give them the goats. Uh, and then when your goat had a kid, you gave it to the next widow, and mm -hmm. then it carries on. Mm -hmm. um, but the baskets, the, the, we call them bulga baskets, they sell very well in Ghana. The only thing is, in the north, they pay next to nothing for them. So I thought, okay, my trips to the south will come in handy. I decided to market the baskets, and that's how we're going to build this shelter. Well, when I said that, the director of the organization laughed at me. She said, there's no way you can build a shelter with these baskets. And I said, well, if I had her permission, I'd like to do a fundraiser using the, well, one, the, the fundraiser will be the platform to market what they have, showcase mm -hmm. what, what, what they do in the north and some of the products that they have there. It would also be a platform for us to build our network, get to know people within the business community. Mm -hmm. there, there aren't that many businesses in the north, but in the south, you've got all your nonprofits, your big nonprofits, you've got businesses, you've got individuals, you know, rich people that will give, give us the money. So this was going to be the platform. Well, the organization had no money to host an event. So my trips to the south, I went to the Canadian High Commission. I went. I, I, said, I asked the director of CUSO, uh, the country rep, and I said, well, I, I need a venue to have a fundraiser, and uh, will you help me? And he says, well, I, I don't know how to do it. And I said, well, if I have a letter, I want him to sign a letter for me, and I'll go to the Canadian High Commission. Because he's just supposed to help Canadians in Ghana. <laughs> so I went there. I went and I saw the head of CEDA, Archie, and I said, this is my plan, will you help me? And, you know, I have to say this, a lot of corporates, I think it's, it can be intimidating because the Canadian High Commission, sometimes, they don't mix very well with the rest of us. You know, the, the diplomats, we are the nobodies. <laughs> and so there isn't that relationship. And so a, a lot of my, my fellow cooperants thought, there's no way you get it. And I said, well, nobody has ever tried. So we'll try it. And they gave me the venue. And they even provided the drinks. You know, because it was uh, also publicity for them. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, um, some of the diplomats that were there, they all back to Ottawa. And they recently invited me over there. Yep. You know, Great. And, and they keep saying, well, you can, you can talk people into doing all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But they were really, really helpful. We had the fundraiser. We brought lots of baskets from the, from the north. And then, of course, I marked up 100%. Because the widows will weave the baskets, but they have to buy the straw. They don't, they, you know, there isn't enough time to go and pick the straw that they need to weave. So we have to buy the straw. They don't have the money to buy the straw. So what I ended up doing was, I'll give them the money to buy the straw. They weave the baskets. I take it back. Mm -hmm. I sell it. And then we keep the profit for the shelter. Or in, in cases where the widows have already you know, woven baskets, I buy it from them, mm -hmm. and then I bring it to Accra, mark it up 100%, and we sell it. At the fundraiser, we sold all the baskets. Wow. We got, you know, we got Guinness Ghana to help. I think the marketing manager was the MC for the event. Um, we had lots and lots of people helping. I mean, I think everybody that I approached with the idea liked it, and they were willing to help. Um, 
the Canadian, the, the Canadian High Commission, what, what the staff also did was, you know, they got, to, they got to see different designs in the baskets that they don't see on the ordinary market. So they started saying, well, will you do basket parties? So they organized, oh we all live in big mansions, <laughs> Tupperware. Um, they all live in big mansions, they have fabulous gardens. So they'll call me and they'll say, well, I'm having a garden party, will you bring basket? And I said, sure. So then I'll call the north and I'll say, can you put it on the bus? Now when they put a uh, sack of baskets on the bus, it takes two days. And then I'll, do, I'll go and pick it up from the bus depot, and then I'll take it with my 100% markup to sell the baskets. And the diplomats are all happy to pay for it, because actually when they go to the market, they would never get it for that price. Because the, the, the word for a white person in Ghana is obroni. And um, when, when you, an obroni goes to the market, I'm sure the markup is So. For, for for me taking the basket and bringing the, it to their backyards, they were more than happy to buy from me, you know. And we sold a ton of baskets. So my first my first um, uh, contract with QSO, we did all this, we started the foundation. And then I had to come back because I'd only signed a contract for one year, so I had to come back and then start over. But I knew that we had to finish had to finish this project. The reason why it was so important to finish was, one, I, I, it was important to show the community of women, widows, that one, it can be done. You can, you can market your stuff differently, and you can raise resources, even from the baskets and shea butter and all those things that they had. Before, they didn't really think that it was possible. Like, yes, we sell baskets, you make a bit of money, but not that much, right? Um, we got into contact with a fair trade organization in Holland. So they started buying baskets from the widows, like the guy who buy wholesale and then uh, takes it to Holland and, and then sells it. He recent, what he's doing in Ghana now is he pays to train the widows. He trains a number of groups in, in the north, but he pays it to train the widows specifically because um, they, he, he wanted a certain quality of baskets and the only way to ensure that is to pay pay train them and then after training he supplies them with the straw and then he buys the baskets from them so it's a win-win situation the widows have some wages he's got his baskets and he takes it to Holland sells it for an arm and a leg and everybody's happy I wish I wish there was more of that uh, happening because I, I know I mean I I'm a social worker, but I also love business. Yeah, that's where I get my like money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that there's a way for us to work together, right, where everybody's happy. Um, we also had um, a woman from Finland. He, she has a cosmetic business who started buying uh, wholesale uh, shea butter from, from the north, from the widows. The only problem was, apparently, there are some impurities in, in the shea butter, and it's because of the way it's processed. So I, my recommendation to her was, well, why wouldn't you pay for the testing and then also help the organization to produce what you really want? Well, she was a cutthroat person. She wasn't interested in that. She just wanted good quality product, buy and leave everything else. Anyhow, I, I, I advise them to drop it, you know, and then work with people who are actually willing to meet them halfway, yeah. where you, you, you pay 
you pay a, I think there was a, another group in, in the states that was also looking at possibly helping them with the testing. I, I'm, not, I'm not a scientist and I think the, the testing is quite expensive. Um, anyhow, so I came back home and um, my plan was actually come back and I was going to go back to Ghana alone and finish a shelter. Well, it just so happened that I couldn't leave these babies behind, so They're we so all went cute. back again. <laughs> uh, my son is not here. He has a whole different story about why I took them back for another year. But when I came back, I also brought lots of baskets with me. And all my social worker friends and psychologists and everybody that I knew here, they had a garden party. Like game <laughs> with the baskets. <laughs> Summer of 07, we had a garden party. Uh, we raised money. And then my husband is a seismic surveyor. So he works in the oil industry. So I hit up all his friends, say, look, look at these wonderful things we're doing. We're not begging. Like, these are women that are actually helping themselves. And would you help us a little bit? You know, so some of them actually came to Ghana. They wanted to come to the north, and well, you can come. You, I'll drive you to the north. Personally, we'll go on the bus, <laughs> uh, and then in exchange, you make a donation, um, and that worked. The there's a group, North American Women's Association. The North Americans in Ghana have a, a group, uh, and I was a member. We sell um, a guide to Accra. It's called No Worries. And I was selling these books. And so wherever I sold the books, I would tell them about baskets, too. So when the shelter was completed, um, they donated money to have it furnished. Wow. Since I told wow. so many books. Um, and then I think it was 08, April or something, we opened the shelter. The, the only thing that kind of saddens me and I think it's a problem whenever we look at building capacity mm -hmm. and, and empowering women. When we first thought of the, the idea of the shelter, actually the director of the organization wanted a car. And I said, well what would the car do for you? The car wouldn't do anything. So I discussed with her and I thought, you know what, there is a plan. If you have this shelter, not only will it serve as a place for you know, a safe place for women, but the shelter can be designed to do a number of things. You'd have your shelter, you'd have a, a place to train women, and then you can have a storefront to sell your baskets. Now, my husband is a civil engineer, so I went to him and I said, would you design a shelter for us <laughs> that does these things, right? Yeah. You tap into everybody. I, I always say, well, at the end of it, you have no friends, but <laughs> um, So he designed it in such a way that you could actually build this place in three phases. The shelter was important. It was number one. So we finished that. And then um, as, as we're working on that, I wrote to the American Embassy to see, tell them that, okay, the Canadians are doing this. Wouldn't you want to do the other bit? And they <laughs> like to compete with each other. So they gave money to do the other what bit. What an entrepreneur <laughs> you are. You know, you tap and the funny thing is, when we opened the shelter, they wanted their name and then, well, QSO, of course, it's called QSO Helps, right? Wow. The Americans said, well, when they finished theirs, you know, they don't want any part of QSO. And then I said, fine, you can have American House on it, you know. So um, that, the, the second phase of it was, almost the roofing stage when I left. 
Now, just before I left, there was another QSO corporate who had just come, and so she raised money. And I think Q at that time, QSO was giving money for uh, partner Yeah, support. the partnership fund. Yeah, yeah, and I thought, they didn't have that when I started. I had to go out and raise money. But it was nice, you know, so that I think it, that's something that is missing mm. in that, you know, if corporates had a bit of support you can do so much yes you can do fundraising and all that but you you still need a bit of a cushion and so that that fund that they got was really good and so she started this um actually what they did was they didn't have enough money to build a concrete structure so they bought a container a shipping container oh, yeah. that you can do to, i mean in in ghana they use it to make all sorts of things people build houses restaurants restaurants yeah. shops everything and that's I, and I i saw i um i saw an email recently that um, it's done. Okay. You know, so they they've got the 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 storefront where they're selling the baskets. I'm not sure where the American thing is because whenever there is a change of government, things happen. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know where that is uh, at. But to get back on the only thing that saddens me was when when we raised the money uh, using baskets. I, I thought I'd, that I was at the point where I'd convinced them that you can you can really market your products, and at, at at some point I thought they really believed it, you know, and mm. this was working. But I realized um, just before the shelter was, I just before we opened the shelter that that wasn't the case. It was a, a lot easier when I was going out there raising the money, right? When it came to them you, using what we had done, you know, the baskets, shea butter, uh, groundnuts and all that, it was a different story. Um, at that time, it was easier to write proposals. And I said, but you can, you can do this, you know, where you're selling your products. You, you, you're making money that way. And they would say, oh, yes, yes, yes. But they would say, well, why don't you take it with you on the bus? You know, and that that kind of was disappointing for me. Mm. And sometimes I, I, my husband tells me, well, just think of it this way, that, you know, I had had a different experience by living here over the time that I'd, I'd spent all my adult life here, right? And I had kind of developed a different way of doing things. Now, he, he thinks that in Ghana, it's really intimidating to go to the Minister of Women. And I, I'll call her and I'll say, can I have a meeting with you? And she'll give me that audience. Another woman, woman local, yeah. a local rural woman, will not have that audience. Well, mm -hmm. heck, they wouldn't even know where to find the, the phone number. So sometimes I, I would like to think that maybe that was still intimidating enough that they weren't able to access places where I could access because of QSO. I mean, I remember one of the corporates that came in 07, we had a meeting with the Attorney General, and she, on the way there, she cracked up. She started laughing. She said to me, can you imagine doing that in Canada? And I said, I can't, but we're going to do it here. Because, you know, the Access to Justice Project, we have done our research, we done the shelter, there were a number of things, but you also had to, the government also had to do something, yes. you know, implement. We, Ghana has pretty much all the laws that we have here, and we were all 
it's all based on a British system. We've been, they've been started a domestic violence law. Um, but the implementation of these laws just isn't happening. And we thought that, you know, meet with the, the attorney general, you know, the police. The, the police service ha has a domestic violence unit. Um, and, but the laws are not being implemented. And that, for me, that was another part that was really lacking, that we could do all these things, but we need the other half to meet us. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, for me, when I think of access to justice for women, that's where that, that there's a lot of work. And, and we can work with that. I mean, there's a way to do it. We can, um, the women, some of the women lawyer, uh, lawyers in Ghana, that's how they got the domestic violence uh, law passed by ruling politicians and telling them all these sweet things. Anyhow, now I'm back here and I work for a women's organization. I work for uh, International Women of Saskatoon. And again, I'm doing the same thing, building capacity of uh, women to find employment. Wow. Thanks, Edith. That was a great story. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks. I, I recorded that. <laughs> <laughs> she tells me after.